How's everybody doing this morning? Okay? Yeah? All right. My name is Tom, and I, um, I lead our team here at Crossroads, and we are working our way through a teaching series we're calling Who is God? And I want to start by telling you a story that um, might shed a little bit of light on why I am the way I am. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was 10 years old, I was in a car accident. My mom was driving. My sister, who was, was eight years old at the time, was in the back seat. And my two little cousins, who were three and like six, seven, eight months, something like that. And we were heading north on Main Street in Trumbull, right in front of a stop and shop where the post office used to be. And the person who was heading southbound thought they could make the turn on the Quality Street before we got there. Well, they thought wrong. And we, we plowed into them. So this was, um, this was 1980. So nobody knew about that strappy thing that hung over here and <laughs> reached across and clipped down. Nobody knew what a seatbelt was. We plowed into this. It was a big, honking, like, ugly, brown, just steel something. I don't even know what it was, but we, we hit it. And um, I, was, I was completely knocked out. There's a nice indent in the windshield, nice star in the shape of my big noggin. And um, my mom said she was having a hard time waking me up. She just couldn't, she was like, she was afraid that was, that was it. And when I, I, when I finally came around, I hear the little girls in the back screaming. I look, my mom's got blood running down her face, and everything is just kind of hazy and foggy. And next thing I know, my gym teacher is picking me up out of the car. My gym teacher was an EMT for the town of Trumbull at that point. So I'm like, really? Like, what is going on? <clears throat> Picks me up carries me to, to the ambulance, and I'm kind of watching. I'm like, oh, he's going to go back and, and get my sister, and he picks up my sister. Like, so my sister now, full-grown, you know, 48-year-old woman is like five feet tall. So at eight years old, I don't, you know, three feet tall? I don't know. <laughs> Scoops her up, and she walks. They're walking by the guy who's driving the other car, and she goes after him. Like, she went... She was just incensed by the whole thing. The little girls were screaming. My mom was bleeding. I was like in la-la land. So she just, that was like what she needed to do to, to make things right. Um, they caught her. They pulled her back. She didn't, you know, no, no harm, no foul. Um, we all ended up in the emergency room and, um, you know, picking glass out of our, our hairlines and stuff. And everybody ended up being fine. I mean, if you define how I am now as fine, then I'm fine. Um, and so... I, I tell you this story not as, um, not as a public service announcement to wear your seatbelts, but as, a, as an illustration of, of justice, of justice that was found, uh, justice that was denied, and justice that was attempted. Uh, if we think about the word justice, um, I'm not sure if I'm on. Here we go. The quality of being equitable or made right. The guy who was driving the other car was issued several tickets. He didn't have um, registration. He was driving too fast. He tried to make the turn. And he didn't have insurance. Right? So there was a punitive justice. He was issued, there was a penalty for, for what he did. There's also another kind of justice that's more uh, restorative. When someone is, has been wronged, they're made right or whole. That was the part of the justice that was denied because he didn't have insurance, the whole thing fell 
on my parents, and they had, to, they had to take care of it. And then I think what my sister attempted was probably a little bit of a combination of both, like a little punitive, a little, little restorative, I'm not sure. Um, but as we work our way through this, this teaching, we're going to think this morning about the God of the Bible, and we're talking about his attributes, and the attribute that we're talking about this morning is that he is perfectly just, and that his justice comes to us. Jesus makes perfect justice available to and through imperfect people. And that's the thought that I would like you to leave here with this morning. And we think about a God who's perfectly just. We Probably most of us are scratching our heads as we think about even just the week we just had. The world is full of injustice. How, how is God perfectly just in a world that operates with so, so much injustice? So I, I wanted us to start with a little bit of a reality check and um, a little bit of me asking you to hang in there with me. The beginning of this is not going to be fun. But we got to cover the hard stuff before we can get to the good stuff. And I promise there is good stuff at the end of this. So just bear with me. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but is a ruin of those who do evil. Again, from Proverbs. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Okay, not so bad, right? I'm not evil, but neither am I blameless or righteous. What, what am I? What, what are you? Where do you fall on that? Where do I fall on that? We turn to the pages of Scripture again. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're picking up on the, on the theme? This is all of us, everybody. We are all on the wrong side of this equation right now. Um, and this is, this is kind of hard for us to get our brains around. You might be like, like today's world, like, should Tom even be saying that stuff? Is that, is that even right? Can you just tell me I'm wrong and I've, I've like, done wrong? Is that, can, he shouldn't say that. This is from the greatest preacher of the last century, Billy Graham, modern man does not like to think of God in terms of wrath, anger, and judgment. He likes to make God according to his own ideas and give him the characteristics he wants him to possess. The modern God has the attributes of love, mercy, and forgiveness, but is without justice. Man doesn't want to be judged and punished for sin. We think about God and his perfections. And it was out of the overflow of his perfections that he created us. He created us for himself to be in relationship with him. Uh, I read a, a World Vision article that described the biblical idea of justice as being primarily a relational one. And, and right, um, man living right with God, man living right with each other, and man living right with creation. And again, out of the overflow of his perfections, when God set all of this in motion for us, he put it all within a framework. He gave us guidelines, boundaries, tracks to stay within. And from almost day one, 
we have kind of ignored those. Not kind of. We have ignored those and, and gone our own way and done our own thing and thought that we know better than God. God is perfectly just. That's our premise for this morning. So if God is perfectly just, then something needs to be done about the fact that we have chosen to ignore his, um, his guidelines and his instructions, the boundaries that he gave us. For the wages of sin is death. Yikes. Really? That's where we're going? Um, there are consequences to ignoring the God of the Bible. There are consequences to doing things our own way. There are consequences to thinking that we know better than, than God. And he, the, the consequences are our death. Fortunately, God's perfections are manifold and they are all working in harmony with one another. So when we think about this idea of justice, we cannot put it off by itself and think about it alone, or else we end up in a really dark place and thinking that the God of the Bible is not who he says he is. When we think about the God of the Bible, we have to think about his justice in light of his sovereignty. God is totally in control, and he makes sure good wins. Evil loses and good wins. He's totally in control. God is omniscient. These are, I'm just kind of reviewing some of the things that we've been talking about. God knows everything, and he knows it all simultaneously. There is no missing evidence. There is no witness that is not available when he makes his judgments. He knows everything. God is perfectly loving, like Carrie talked about last week. That's how he identified himself, first and foremost. God is perfectly loving. That means all that knowledge that he has simultaneously, all that control that he has, is for us and for our good. And God is unchanging. In a world where uh, popular opinion can have somebody on top of the world in one moment, and the next they're canceled, they're done, nobody wants to think about them again, God does not change. He is not swayed by popular opinion, or he is not moved by the current cultural tide. It's the, the way that God's perfections work together that allow me to, to rest easy when I think about things um, like the fate of children who, who die before they're old enough to make any decisions about who God is on their own. I can trust God completely with that because I know that he's going to do the right thing. I have no doubt in my mind about what happens in those cases. We should all take great solace and comfort in the fact that God's perfections work together. Out of his perfections flow Jesus came to earth for us, for a broken people, to uh, mend that rift between us and God. This is from Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Perfectly God, perfectly man, stepped out of eternity into time to meet us where we were at, just broken and mired in our sin. Meet us where we're at to mend the relationship, to pay the price, right? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death to pay the price that we deserve for the things that we've done wrong, for the sin condition that we inherited as being part of the human race. So Carrie used the the teeter-totter of justice last week as an illustration. I wanted to bring it back to help um, to help walk us through this idea. If God's perfections are all indeed perfect and they work in harmony, we would, we would think that mercy and justice would be the same. But God does this amazing thing, right? And, and he, uh, for no, no way that we've earned it, no doing of our own, he comes to us and he mends that relationship Jesus dies for the ungodly, the godly, the perfect for the imperfect. So the teeter-totter has this appearance, right, that God's the, uh, mercy is much bigger and much greater, and it, and it outweighs his, his justice. Because Jesus came, right, because God is perfect, his justice had, had to be met. It had to be fulfilled. But it was a price that we are incapable of paying. There's not a single person who's ever lived or will outside of Jesus who could make that teeter-totter balance. And it's in Jesus, it's in believing in the fact that when we come to him and we say, we've screwed up and we're going to screw up again and we are, we, we are so, we need you, we need you, we need you. And it's in Jesus that this teeter-totter gets balanced and that we see the perfections of God come to us and meet us where we are. God's perfections are for us. They overflow out of who he is and they come to us and they meet us in the midst of our need and our deepest, deepest need to draw us, to draw us close. In a world filled with injustice, it's critical that we keep in mind that our ultimate justice came through history's greatest injustice. Infinitely perfect, Jesus, infinite God, dies on our behalf. The ultimate injustice was perpetrated, and it was committed against Jesus for us. And as a result of that, we gain, we benefit. Once we've experienced God's perfections, it is our job to carry them with us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I think I could preach on those, that verse every week for just ad infinitum, and I would never run out of material. How we're supposed to interact with each other, how we're supposed to interact with God. And there's a, a general look to this that I think, again, we're going to go to the book of Romans. Um, there are a ton of scripture in this. When my notes get posted, um, you'll have a link and they'll all be right there so you can go back and check them out again if, if you would like to do that. This is from the book of Romans that kind of gives us a general overview of how we are to carry the perfections of God with us wherever we go. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Two thoughts on that. That's Romans chapter 12, and it's, I think it's like 12 through, through 19. Being and doing. We are called to be with those who are in need. Once we experience the perfections of God, we're to carry them with us to other people who are in need. People who are poor in spirit, poor in resources. And we are to do. We're to do for them the things that they cannot do for themselves. We are to be a voice for those who cannot speak. We are to be the strength for those who are weak. And we are to give to those who could never, ever pay us back. That's us. We have to be and we have to do. And then we have to let God be and let God do. We let God be God and do his thing. He is the only one who can cast perfect judgment. Right? This passage should free us from any sort of inclination to be a judgy jerk. Right? We don't have to. God's got it, and his judgment is perfect. Our job is to bring the restorative justice that Jesus offers with us wherever we go. There's a, a specific look to this. That's kind of the general look. There's a specific look that Scripture leads us to. Two verses, one from the book of Isaiah. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And from the book of James, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We did a study in the book of James last year about this time, and I referred to the people who are discussed in this passage as um, those who are invisible and vulnerable. And those are the people that God is calling us to. They, God places a premium on that we are supposed to carry his perfections, to whom we're supposed to carry his perfections. They're invisible, unfortunately, because we would rather not look at them. Life would be easier if we could just forget about orphans and widows and people in need and people with mental illness and people with physical illness and people who struggle. It'd be way easier just to not look. And when we don't look, that's when they become vulnerable. They become vulnerable to every and any kind of horrible injustice that you could think of because the people who have are not coming around them and caring for them and sharing God's perfections with them. It is why we're so important, why we talk about this phrase, look up, lean in, reach out all the time. This reach out leg of our triangle is so important. We have to be so intentional. This is the one that's easiest to forget about this. One of the very first things I learned from Pastor Rich Joy when I first started working for him back in the early 2000s was that the, 
the outward focus part of church is one of the hardest things to maintain because we love to worship God. It's easy to worship God. It's easy to praise God. And it's super, super comfortable. They get together with other people who are like-minded and just hang out and be and eat and, and be together. It's not so easy to get outside of our, our happy, holy little huddle here and go out into the world and bring God's perfections with us. That's why we say this over and over and over again. We got to keep it in front of us and we have to be intentional about it. And it's why we partner with organizations like the Bridgeport Rescue Mission and like Grace Community Education Center. Our Bridgeport Rescue Mission cares for the addicted and the homeless of Fairfield County. Grace Community Education Center provides safety and clothing and food and education for the children of Njataini, Kenya. We have to be super intentional about engaging in activities like this. And that's why this week we're participating in the Bridgeport Rescue Mission's Great Thanksgiving Project. And I'm going to take a second. I just want to give you some really concrete details of how we, this is just a super, super practical way to bring God's justice and mercy to the people that so desperately need it. On Wednesday, we're going to be heading down to Webster Bank Arena in Bridgeport. And you can, you can pray for people. You can be a personal shopper and help them find winter coats that have been donated that fit them. You can hand out turkey and stuffing and gravy. If there's a, there's a job for every person. So please don't think, oh, I can't, I, what, what would I do there? I can't, I can't help out. There's something for everybody to do. What's super, super important is that you go to crossroadct.info and you get signed up because we need to send you a registration link that's like the official link from the Bridgeport Rescue Mission. So we can, we can do that. Um, I've participated in this for the last couple of years. I know many of you have, and it's, it's just an amazing event. It's an amazing opportunity to, um, to do just what we're talking about this morning. So God's perfections come to us. They're for us. And we carry them with us wherever we go. We will be held accountable for what we do with how we carry God's justice or God's perfections. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this could, this could sound terrifying. So let's keep it in light of the rest of Scripture, okay? The rest of Scripture tells us that every sin has been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus took, took the penalty for all of that, for everything that we've done, everything that we will do. He paid the price for it. This, this judgment is about our life in heaven with Jesus after this is all said and done. It's literally about rewards. And the, the Bible kind of alludes to some things like crowns and jewels, but the, the bottom line, it, it, folks, as um, I'm going to quote one of my favorite movie characters of all time, Maximus from Gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. We have the opportunity to do great things for God, for people who desperately, desperately need them. I want to say um, one last thing about this idea of God being perfectly just. And 
come at it from, from two different angles. God's perfect justice will oftentimes not be fulfilled in this life. And I don't have to tell any of you the details of this. We've all lost people long before we expected to. We have all been in the midst of struggles or walked alongside people who struggle with just what seems like an unfair burden to carry. We know, we know this all too well. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Again, I, I don't understand how this works, but the, the suffering that we endure in this life is going to be more than counterbalanced by the glory that we experience when we are with Jesus in heaven. More, <clears throat> the, the, the losses that we've experienced will be counterbalanced. And I don't, um, I don't say this to, I'm not trying to minimize the injustices that, we've, that we face or to trivialize the hardships that we experience. Um, <clears throat> so three years ago today, A little girl who was six months old in the car in that car accident was 36. And we had to make the decision as her family to, um, to stop life support. She has two little girls. They were eight and six at the time. <clears throat> what gives me hope in the midst of that is that one day Jesus is going to come back and one day he's going to wipe away every tear this nonsense won't happen anymore death will be no more there will be no more sorrow or suffering and it will all be made new those little girls that lost their mom that will be made new my cousin cousin-in-law Kevin who lost his wife that will be made new our children who struggle won't struggle anymore Because out of the overflow of his perfections, Jesus will come back and he will make everything right. Everything will be made right. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you came and paid the ultimate price. You suffered the ultimate injustice so that... Um, 
we might experience your perfections. Lord Jesus, please make us the kind of people that would carry those perfections with us wherever we go. God, give us eyes to see people who are hurting and lonely and lost and broken. And we might bring your mercy and justice to them. God, we thank you that our suffering here and now does not go unnoticed. And that when, when you come back and you make all things right, everything will be made new again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.